Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. Yeah, that's exactly what we should do. Run him up and fill him in. Then why don't you? The kids don't want it. They don't skate, they don't score, they don't hit, they don't fight, they float. They don't love to win. They don't hate to lose. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bobbiner goes right to King Blackenville. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. Proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Joe Lazito, and welcome to episode 144. We're still off the island, and today is the conclusion of my chat with Stone Cold Steve McLaren. I've had a few people ask me if I'm ever going to get Islanders guests back on the show, and I I do think that is a legitimate question. The answer is yes. Um, One of the things I really need to try to do is stop saying, um, this past alumni night, I did uh, speak to a few guys who I spoke to last year about potentially coming on the show, and everything seems to be a go. Now... Unfortunately, one of the guys, I'm at his mercy if he remembers to reach out to me. Uh, But another one, it seems like it should be a go. And I really hope that this happens because this will be a definite (laughs) multi-part episode. Uh, One of the great characters that has ever played for this team. And um, 
someone who I know that everyone's a fan of. I don't know how you can't be a fan of him. So um, another guy, uh, well, easy for me to say. Another guy made his first appearance, I believe, at Alumni Weekend this year, and I was able to catch up with him, and he agreed to uh, do the show. So where we're at now, today is the conclusion of the Stone Cold Steve McLaren series. Uh, after this, it will be another off the island, although I think I'm going to put a lost episode out next Monday, and then um, it'll just give me a little more time to do some research. So there will be Islanders on the show. I promise you that. Uh, the other thing is if you have any suggestions for Islander guests, please send them my way because um, a lot of times people will say, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? And most of the time I say, well, I've reached out to them, but I haven't heard back. Or there were a few cases where I've reached out to them and they've politely declined. If you have an in with an Islanders enforcer that you would love to have on the show, let me know and then hopefully you can make this connection. I'll give you an example. I would love to have Eric Goddard on the show. I think Eric Goddard would be an unbelievable guest. I mean, the hand of God, right? I would love to have Eric Goddard on the show. I have no way of contacting him. I, I have sent him uh, messages on Facebook. I don't know if he gets them. I actually sent a message to the wife of a former player who is very friendly with him. I, I have not heard back, but... I would love to get Eric Goddard on the show. So if anyone has an in with Eric Goddard, please let him know. And uh, hopefully that can happen someday. Uh, it's very important. One of the most important things I want you people to know is I am still actively trying to get former Islander players on this show. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. But in the meantime, if I can bring you an interview like Steve McLaren, I'm going to do it because... Uh, if you listen to parts uh, parts one and two, you know that he was phenomenal and uh, definitely a minor league legend. And as you'll find out in this episode, someone who uh, fortunately was able to make it to the show for a handful of games. But I won't uh, let the cat out of the bag too much regarding that. But uh, thank you to everyone who has listened to parts one and two. And as I said, if you have an in with an Islander enforcer that you want to hear on the show, please let me know. And We'll try to make it happen. If you're on social media, I am too. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. There are links to those platforms in the show notes. Click on them and let's connect. If you are interested, I'm going to, uh, I guess there's no smooth way of uh, overcorrecting, <laughs> overcorrecting that. If you have an art project that needs doing, go to Graphics Joker on Twitter and speak to the graphics joker himself, Joe Marisich, or go to loudegg.com. Now, unfortunately, uh, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl last night. I'm recording this today, Monday, uh, well, Monday afternoon. Uh, the Chiefs won last night. Joe had done a few tunes of the 49ers, and uh, I'm not sure if that's his team. I figured he was a Jets fan, but uh, maybe he was just doing some 49er tunes, and it would have been great to... Uh, have those prominently displayed on his accounts after a Super Bowl win, but uh, it was not to be. But Joe is an amazing artist. He's an amazing human being. Definitely give him a follow and uh, contact him if you have any art projects that need doing. And also, in the show notes, 
there's a link to Islanders A to Z, which is a children's book that Joe illustrated. So if you haven't heard of it yet, definitely click on that link and check it out. Now, I am a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team has at least one show dedicated to it on the network. I am on the original content side, as although I am an Islanders-related podcast, we don't really discuss the current state of the team. I can't imagine what that must be like trying to do a podcast on hockey in 2024. Excuse me. But also, the OG, the fourth-line voice, Darren from Saskatchewan, the fourth-line voice podcast, his latest episode, number 359. Folks, 359 episodes. Can't even imagine that. Uh, It's a solo episode. His Sunday solo episodes are uh, amongst my favorite. And uh, this week, the main topic is how minor league hockey is lost. And by that, he means, and I'm in total agreement, um, used to be back in the day, part of the reason why I became such a huge fan of the minors in the American League was uh, that was the one league where you can always... I mean, you hear the guys that are on the show. We talk about the minors in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and and it was the Wild West. And you were always kind of guaranteed some physical play, and now it's just... I won't won't go into it. Um, He does talk about Daniel Amesbury signing in Fort Wayne and the long-awaited matchup of Amesbury versus Ryan Devine that he was hyping up for a week or so before that. Actually, I shouldn't say that. He was actually talking about it since Amesbury signed at Fort Wayne. And um, and we didn't get it, of course. But he goes into much further detail. Uh, also, he talks about former Islander Brett Gallant uh, resurfacing in the uh, LNAH. Had, he's had two fights so far. The latest fight was against uh, all-timer Donald Brashear. Uh, if you haven't seen that yet, check out the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. That's on there. Uh, fucking galley, man. That guy just brings the heat. Jesus. It's incredible. Uh, it, it is unbelievable. I'm just glad that, um, his NHL games are in an Islander uniform. I love that fucking guy. I love him and his brother, Alex. They're, they're fucking awesome. So, uh, also Darren does the top six Philly Phantoms enforcers. He gets lists sent to him, uh, worldwide, I believe. I think, I think this guy, he's just like, People from around the world send Darren lists, and that he broke out the list. He basically said with with the uh, Steve McLaren interviews I'm doing, it was a good time to break out the uh, Philly Phantoms list. And it's uh, spoiler alert it's a it's a pretty solid list. I don't I don't think you can really poke any holes in it. Um, it's a good list. It's definitely worth the list. And I I kind of like when the lists are just all over the place and shitty because then he gets to riff on it a little bit, but. Um, I actually think, thinking about it now, I think I'm in full agreement with the list and the order of the list. So give it a listen to, especially if you uh, listen to part two of the McLaren interview where we talk about his years with the Flyers organization. And as I mentioned, the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel, where you can get all your fight uh, fixes with the videos that he uploads there. And the other two boys, uh, Alec, Five for Fighting podcast. The saga continues with the East Coast Hockey League. What a bunch of fucking losers. I, I, someone still has to explain this to me. It's bad enough that all this guy wants to do is promote your fucking league and you get his channel taken down from YouTube. But then you fucking complain 
to Twitter and get his Twitter account suspended. Or, I mean, where what the fuck are we doing here? All this guy does is promote your league for free. It's mind-boggling. And then the director of communications, I think his name is Joe Babick, uh, not very good at communicating. Let's just say that. So I don't know. I, I mean, and Alex still, still after all this, that he loves that league so fucking much, he's still, you know, posting videos and stuff about the. He's still promoting the league. It's, it's mind blowing. I, I tell you, someone owes this guy an apology from the league office. They really do. Uh, but Alec is currently uh, he, he um, moved to Tennessee, so I guess he's unpacking, and hopefully he'll get that neon sign up soon. He'll get the mic set up, and we can have a new episode of the Five for Fighting podcast. And also, Jordan, five in a game. I see that he's been active on social media. He does uh, some really cool fight, fighter art, so he's been active with that. And hopefully he'll get back on the horse again soon, and uh, and we'll get some new episodes from those two young men as well. So today is February 12th, and some of you may or may not know that uh, this is a significant date in my life. It was 13 years ago today that uh, I was almost murdered on a subway by a spree killer, fucking loser. Um, And uh, it's not bad enough that that happened, but to add insult to injury, there were two cops right there on the train standing feet away, hiding for their own safety. If you uh, are not familiar with that and you'd like to hear the whole story from the mouth of right from the horse's mouth, really, is what I meant to say. Um, I've done episodes on this before. What I'll probably do is maybe Wednesday or Thursday, I'll just upload it again. It'll be a re-release. It won't really be... I guess it'll be a new episode for some people, but um, there's plenty of stuff out there about the incident. If you go on my uh, Twitter page, it's the pinned tweet, where basically, I think it's a 50-tweet thread where I kind of break down the whole situation. And, um, you know, if you're familiar with it, it's just a reminder. And if you're not familiar with it, if you're someone who is a recent uh, listener and you're not familiar with the history of the incident, uh, it'll give you a pretty in-depth background as to what happened. But uh, that's why today, uh, that's why this episode is out later on a Monday than normal. Uh, I watched Super Bowl last night, and then after the game, I just, I well, I shouldn't say I was so disgusted I went to bed. We watched the Super Bowl, and then after that, I watched a couple of episodes of uh, Mayor of Kingstown, which we started watching, and then I, I fell asleep. So, and then I figured I'd get up today and do it, and then I just have a certain routine that I do every uh, every year on the anniversary of this day. So, um, I guess the real reason why I'm bringing that up is because over the years, over the past 13 years, um, I've received so much support from you people out there and uh, via text or phone call or email, uh, anything posting on social media. And I really want to thank everybody who has ever taken the time to uh, send me any sort of support, you know, words of encouragement, think, you know, pat on the back, a hug, whatever. It's, it's all appreciative. It's all appreciated whether it's me, my wife, or my kids, anyone in my family. Uh, it's overwhelming. It definitely is. But I I promise everybody, every person out there that has ever said a kind word to us or lent us any sort of support, 
it means the world to us and thank you very much because I consider myself to be very lucky. Um, I really, there's been certain things that have changed in my life uh, since then, but for the most part, I'm, I'm very functional. I don't have episodes where I could very well have some pretty serious episodes if you're familiar with psychology. Um, I, I could be a lot worse off than I am, and I do not take it for granted at all the kindness of people who have reached out to us over the years, and I think you're a big part of that. So um, if you're one of those people, I just want to say thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate the support back then. I appreciate the support right now and the support that uh, people give us in the future. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, also, just a couple of hockey things. I watched the Alexander Daig documentary. It's on ESPN. And um, I, I will say this about ESPN. For a network that, to me, still lives off a reputation of what it used to be, they can certainly do documentaries. Now, I understand it's not necessarily ESPN doing the documentary. It's the directors and the producers doing the documentary for them. But whether it's the 30 for 30 or the E60 stuff, uh, ESPN certainly does an amazing job with those. And this uh, Alexander Daig documentary was just another one in a long lines of fine documentaries that they've put out. And it there was a part of it that really hit me. It, it hit a little close to home in a way, not me personally, but uh, it was just the part where just the pressure that, these kids, 18 years old, the pressure that they're put under. Um, you know, in the other sports, you know, basketball, football, not really baseball because you get drafted and you're not even uh, – you're not getting drafted and making the majors the following year. That that just doesn't happen. Um, but basketball and college football, college basketball, college football, you're in your early 20s. And even still at that age, it's a lot of pressure for someone in their early 20s. But – your brain at 22 and 23 is a lot more developed than the 18 year old brain. And just, you know, it, the pressure Alexander Dake, he's, he's going to be the face of the senators and they already have Yashin and they're a horrible team. I mean, what a burden to put on those two young players, but you know, you have Yashin's Russian and you have Dake who's from, you know, Quebec next, <laughs> next province over, not that far. Ottawa's not that far from Quebec. Um, that is a lot of pressure. And it, and for an 18-year-old kid, it just, you know, it made me think about Dave Chazowski. And you may or may not know. If you listen or you know me, you know Dave's a good friend. And just thought back to the conversations that Dave and I have had and his interview with me. If you haven't listened to it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because uh, Dave was very forthcoming he was uh, it was an emotional interview honestly for i think for both of us like to hear the words that come out of his mouth just the pressure that you're put under as an 18 year old and i think it was in the interview and if it wasn't in the interview it was something that him and i had in a conversation that wasn't recorded and i basically said and this was when my son was 18 one of my sons was 18 and i said i can't imagine putting my son my 18 year old son on a plane to go play hockey in Edmonton. And then he's there for a little bit. And now all of a sudden 
hey, we want to give you number 11. Like, there's not enough pressure on him being an 18-year-old playing for the Edmonton Oilers, but now they're going to put even more pressure on him and give him number 11. You know, it's... You just think about where you were in your life at 18. I mean, I mean that is huge. And I, I understand they have support. And now, you know, one of the good things about sports now, hockey now sports, is that, you know, the teams, they have people on staff to help you with your mental health. And I think that's that's great. I think that's a great thing. That wasn't readily available back then. And I think it was something that really wasn't spoken about. So watching this documentary, it really was like, wow, it just made me think of Chizer again. And uh, just the amount of pressure that, that we put on 18 year old kids. And it just, um, I don't know, like there's really no point. <laughs> well, most of the stuff that I say, there's really no point to this. It, it was just something that it gave me pause to think about, you know, every year at the draft, no matter what, what draft it is. I get, again, except for baseball, really, I guess. They always put out the all-time draft busts. And it's like, that is really... I understand the the gist of it, but that is really unfair. And I think especially when it comes to hockey players, I, because they are so young when they are, when they are drafted. And, you know, if you have... If you have time to develop in the minors and, you know, sometimes things just don't work out. You're drafted by the wrong team. You're rushed. I mean, I think Chizowski was rushed here. I think Brett Lindros was rushed here. And I, and with, with Brett, he was guilty of just being a Lindros. He was brought in to help sell tickets and really capitalize off of his brother, the, the name Lindros. And I think if Brett Lindros would have gone back to junior and then maybe spent a year or two in the minors. I think he could have been one of the premier power forwards in the league. Now, again, concussions play into it. We don't know what would have happened, but he was definitely rushed. I don't think there's anyone that can argue with that. And with Dave, he was rushed. And do yourself a favor. I know everyone's just quick to say, well, he was a bust or whatever, but Look at his hockey DB and, and look at the stats he put up in the minors when he was playing a prominent role on the team. The guy put up points everywhere. Everywhere he put up points. Put up penalty minutes, put up points. He was a leader. So it, it just is... It, it's it's actually a shame and, and it makes me wish that Dave would have gone back to junior. He was able to go back to junior. Um, because even the third overall pick is not always a guarantee to stay in the NHL, but had he gone back to junior and again, similar play a year or two in the minors, I think things could have been so much different, but even on social media, you know, I see people call him certain things and the good part is, uh, he, if he sees it, he answers them back now. And, and that makes me very happy. But again, I, I don't really have a point to this. I would say in, uh, in the U.S., it's on ESPN Plus, and I think in Canada, it's on Prime. Uh, so it's a very good documentary with Dagan, and I think uh, he's very forthright in it too. He's he gets it; he knows what happened, uh, you know, and he doesn't really hold anything back. And I think he's honest in it. So I think it's definitely worth watching. And again, there's really no no point to this other than it was a good documentary, and it made me think about 
guys like Dave Jazowski and, and the pressure that we put 18-year-old kids under when they're drafted into the NHL, an, er, an early draft pick where we we expect them to just come in and pick up where they left off in junior. But that, that was it on that. Uh, finally, uh, Steve McLaren, I just want to thank you. Um, like I said in the, in one of the parts, maybe even this one, I don't know, this interview was, it was hard work on both of our parts, trying to match up our respective, my days off with his regular shifts when they didn't get snow way up North in Ontario. Uh, and it was constant communication. Hey, you go today. No, I got to work overtime. We got a foot of snow, whatever. Then we were supposed to go another day. I got sick. It was, uh, it it was the kind of thing where if Steve would have said, "Hey, you know what? Fuck it. This is just so hard." I wouldn't I wouldn't have blamed him. But he was really into the interview, and you know, Darren and I have talked about this before. When you get a guest who's really into the interview, it it makes a world of difference. Instead of, "Yeah, I'll get back to you." Yeah, when can we do this? Uh, let me check. I mean, I've heard, I've heard excuses. Guys have told me. One guy told me. I'm going to go on holidays now. I'll give it some thought and get back to you. <laughs> okay. I'm still waiting. <laughs> I'm still waiting. And this was months ago. Uh, and I always wondered, what do you have to think about? Like, I, I don't get it. But anyway, no, it's fine. Um, but the the excuses that we have heard are pretty funny. Especially when we just say, hey, if you don't want to do it, just say, no, it's cool. There's no hard feelings. I get it. It's not for everybody. But then there's guys like Steve who are interested in doing it and actually is is an active part of making the interview happen. And I just really appreciate that. I really appreciate his time, his effort. And I think if you listen to parts one and two, I think it really came out. He was a, a terrific guest. And there's really not much more for me to say about Steve McLaren. He's an awesome guy, and he was uh, he was fantastic. He raises the bar for everybody else that follows him on this show going forward. So, Steve, thank you very much. And uh, after these commercial messages, I bring you the finale, the conclusion, the crescendo of Stone Cold Steve McLaren, and I hope you people enjoy it. Have a great day, everyone. Looking for a super offer for Super Bowl 58? DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. New customers can bet on the big game and turn 5 bucks into 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code THPN. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 58 with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boothill Casino and Resort... 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. 
Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. job was with the uh, Flyers organization uh, contracts up you're a free agent now um, you ended up signing uh, with St. Louis uh, but at this point were there other teams that were interested or did they they come at you with the best offer or best opportunity how did that go down uh, definitely the best offer I mean I had been talking with Philly about re-signing mm-hmm. but nothing you know we had even talked some dollar numbers mm-hmm. but nothing happened and then, boom, I'm a free agent. Uh, hadn't signed back with Philly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, St. Louis, again, another another one of those teams, right? Chicago, Philly, St. Louis, that recognized the value of the tough guy. Mm-hmm. But maybe a little bit, uh, maybe not the smartest move for me to make because they, you know, they had Twist. They had Lowe. They had a bunch of guys. And, uh yeah. You know, I might have been smarter going somewhere else, but again, that is where I played, so apparently the best decision I made. Well, and, and going back to what you said where you were in negotiations with the Flyers now, um, would you have re-signed with them if they had given you the best deal, even knowing that chances were you were not going to get a shot with the Flyers based on what Bobby Clark had said? Yeah, see, that that's the thing. I I wanted that shot, Joe. You know, I, yeah. I wanted that shot in the NHL, like that that regular season game. That mm-hmm. I mean, I probably I probably still would have taken less money somewhere else to still get the shot because it was a heart to heart I had with Billy Barber too mm-hmm. that summer, and he was kind of like, "Well, Steve," he goes, "It depends where you want to play. You kind of know what happened here last year." He goes, "But if you think you're going to be in the minors, where's a better place to play than here in Philly?" And he was right. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, loved my time there in Philly. Like the the like what it felt like being on that team. Like it felt like a team, but yeah, I mean, to, to turn down the offer I got from St. Louis would not have been smart. So right, right. one of those things, I mean, it put me right at the top pay in the, the league type of thing. So that's good. I think at that point you had earned it, you know, 
a lot of times that first contract with the team, you're getting paid for what you've done already. And you certainly been in the yeah. battles, you know, you'd earn that money. So similar to not, I mean, obviously not on this big of a scale, but you're with a new team. Now you got to make an impression. And, and uh, I read an article that uh, in a, a, a scrimmage, uh, Matt Walker. And for those who aren't familiar, Matt Walker is a big physical defenseman, uh, throws his weight around a lot. He had hit Doug Waite in a scrimmage. And uh, you came in to stand up for Doug Reed. And uh, from, from what I read in the article, Walker did everything he could to avoid you and ended up fighting Mike Keene instead. Uh, and Mike Keene is, is really tough for, for a guy who doesn't fight a lot. A uh, really tough guy in his own right. Uh, and when I read that, I, I thought it was kind of weird because a guy like Matt Walker is going, not weird that he wouldn't want to fight you, but a guy like Matt Walker has to make an impression too. And I figured... Uh, that if I was the St. Louis Brass watching this, I, I don't know if that would impress me too much. You, you cut out a bit there on me, Joe, but uh, Matt uh, Matt Walker like loves the guy. Yeah, he was one of the guys they chummed with, like farm boy, you know, northern yeah. farm boy, smile, killer, killer at heart, but just you know, big friendly guy, like the gentle giant type of thing. And right, um, no, I don't remember almost getting into it with him, but. Uh, I remember playing with them and loved playing with them. Yeah. No, I, I, I like the guy. I'm a fan of his. Don't get me wrong. I am. When I read the article, I just thought it was odd that, you know, at that point in his career, he's a young kid. He's got to make an impression. And I, I just thought it was kind of odd that he wouldn't do, again, not that he should be looking to fight you. That could be a bad night for anybody, but I just thought, you know, ducking you in a way and going for Mike Keene after hitting one of the stars of the team wasn't the best way. But who am I? I'm a guy sitting on my couch and he's got show games. So what am I? What do I know? Well, I want to ask you about with this with St. Louis. So in Chicago and in Philly, uh, the teams were loaded with toughness, and uh, the game had started to change. I think at this point, like I'm looking at some of the names. Reed Lowe was the resident heavyweight. Uh, Barrett Jackman was there, you know, but he, he's your hard hitting defenseman. He'd fight, but he was there, you know, to play too. Uh, then you had the guys that were going to play in the minors like Brad Voth, Trevor Baker. Uh, they had signed Igor Vileyev. Brett Scheffelmeyer was, was in camp too. Um, so obviously in this camp, it was the camp. I don't think stress was the right word, but this I think was the, your first camp with the blues. Did you kind of notice that, things were a little different from the other camps where there was still some toughness there, but nothing like you had experienced with Chicago and Philly. Yeah. I mean, no, that, and that is the truth, but I, I didn't like fighting guys on my team. Right. So in training camp, like I told my agent, on like, you tell them to get me into an exhibition game, either in the American league or the NHL and I'll fight everybody. Like I just didn't want to have to look at that guy because I knew at that point that I could hit you and hurt you. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to do that to somebody I was going to have to look at all year as a buddy on my team. Right. I wanted to defend those guys. I didn't push things in training camps. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, in Philly, I had three fights with one with Lindros and two with Coupel. And so stuff does happen. I mean, I preferred to do it in the game against another team. So this was the first time that I ever became aware of Don Granado. I had never heard of him before this. And, uh, you know, people know that he's now been in Buffalo for a few years. Uh, how was it playing for him? Well, you know what? His, his, uh, well, his game could be blowing up now. Awesome. Um, he was, he was more of the take the slash, 
get the penalty uh, or get the power play, score a goal, that's how we're going to hurt them. The thing that didn't add up to me about that, that that's fine for playoffs. But you got to get to the playoffs first. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. You know, if he recognized the ability of the tough guy and what it could do for the team or when, when the time was right, even, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, he was all about, like I said, he was all about team toughness. And John brought me in there to, to, to you know, to protect the team, mm-hmm. uh, make other guys not want to do things. Right. Um, I mean, he, but, but he, he helped me. In that, you know, Steve, you got to get your positioning better. You don't, you know, you don't go driving into the net and pile up in the net, and the hash marks are in the goalie's trees with everybody. Get yourself hanging back, mm-hmm. hang back a bit, float into the tops of the circles where you can get a shot off. And I mean, sure enough, in the, the the training camp after he was my coach, I ended up scoring in training camp. You know, when we were doing the blacks versus whites in St. Louis, which was odd for me, mm-hmm. but exciting. Um, so he, he knew his game, but because he was a smaller guy and liked to take that slash or whatever and then punish the team with a goal, yeah, which, I, I again, I agree with in the playoffs 100%, but during the regular season, that guy slashes you. Well, that's when somebody like me goes out and talks to them and says, you slash him again, you're going to pay the price. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to carry some of this uh, interview for this season because, unfortunately, a lot of the Worcester stuff, uh, I know you have it on video, but I don't. So I'm going to ask you about a few guys uh, that we haven't talked about yet. And you can let me know, uh, let me know if anything was, uh, was notable here. We talked about a few of the guys already like Brent yeah. Thompson. Manchester seems like they're a big rival with uh, Worcester. I would say, is that correct? Ended up being, yeah. Yeah. So you had uh, on this year, you fought Andre Payet and you fought uh we talk about big guys you fought ryan flynn twice uh this season for manchester along with payette so i'll ask you about those fights first yeah uh well again now payette i had been with a little bit in philly Mm -hmm. and then uh we were at a summer training camp together the same one that karen's karen's was at and matt johnson and blah 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 uh, he had actually come back, like we had the weekends off, so we drove back to my place here in North Bay, because I had it then too, to, to hang out for the weekend. So we got along good, but yeah, no, we did. it was that time in the game again, you, you fight your friends, you have to, right? You want the job, you want the money, you want the respect. So he wanted to have a go, and uh, and we did, and he, didn't, he wasn't able to get anything off or whatever, and he felt it looked bad, so we ended up getting up and smashing his helmet off the ice and stuff. But, um, and the other one was, uh, Ryan Flynn. Yeah. Big boy. Well, we had a rivalry with them because I, I believe it was their coach yelled at me. Yeah, McLaren, we brought somebody in for you. <laughs> so it came off their bench. It was either their coach or the assistant telling me that they brought somebody in for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, well, Let's find out. Yeah. <laughs> and that would have been the first. That was the in Manchester. Mm. So that was the first time we fought. It would have been all right, too. Uh, there was at one point where we're up the border. And if he didn't get his head out of the way, he's going. Um, but nothing really happened. Like, you know, we fought. Mm. Uh, then it was uh, the next night in Worcester. Mm. We went toe-to-toe for 
oh, I don't know, probably a good 30 shots each type of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think at one point, both of our heads were in our jerseys. (laughs) So that was kind of having his head in his jersey with his height. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, no, good good tilts. I mean, he had nothing on me, so went pretty good. Maybe the biggest rival that year, Portland. Uh, You got uh, Nolan Yonkman a couple of times. You got uh, Kyle Clark. Uh, let's see, do I get anyone else here? Uh, Nolan Yonkman, Clark. No, I guess just those two, Yonkman and Clark. And I do have one of the Yonkman fights. I think it was the second one, uh, yet where you cut him under his eye. I mean, he's a big boy, but at that point he was only 20 years old. That's a big ask for any 20 year old. Yeah, no, And I mean, he, he was a big guy. Like, I mean, he had some strength too. Like, like I said, big, big guy. Yeah. Um, that was the thing, right? It, if I could get it, like I said, if I could get it, I just need one. If I could hit you, uh, you know. So, I mean, I, I remember fighting him and, and him being strong, and we more kind of flailed around because if I got at a, in a point where I had my balance and my stable base underneath me, you know, I was almost pushing and pulling him, and he was doing the same things. We flopped around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't go into the toe-to-toe fight, but, yeah, apparently I tagged him, so. Yeah. Christian Gosselin. You fought Christian Gosselin four times this year, twice in one game and then twice late in the season. What was up with you and Christian Gosselin this year? <laughs> uh, something he was trying to intimidate somebody. Mm-hmm. So I came flying in. I uh, didn't jump him right. Like, wait, I like, got him to get his gloves off and that. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I guess I, I must have tagged him or something. I think I hit him pretty good because the next game we lined up on the draw. I believe this would be the second fight. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was same thing. I was again like, hey, are we going? And he must have said no or something because I dropped my guard for a second. And he threw his gloves off and tried to jump me like as fast <laughs> as he could. And it didn't work out for him, but I didn't like that. I didn't like guys trying to jump me. But anyway. I like fighting fair or whatever, but I think he was uh, a guy that had some size, but did not want to do it. Yeah, I think so. So, or, or did not want to do it as far as fighting all the heavyweights, right? Right. right. Like, I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't fight mid-class, whatever, but I don't think he wanted to fight all the heavyweights. And that was that scenario. We went a couple times after that and he never wanted to fight me, but I kind of pushed it a couple of like the second two there. I pushed it. And he didn't want to be there. <laughs> no, I can't. You know, and I, I think you're right. I think that's, uh, I think that is, uh, he is a victim of his size in a way where I'm sure he'd rather just play or maybe fight middleweights if he has to, or do, you know, come in and defend his teammates. But as far as doing it on a nightly basis, I don't, I just, and it's not a knock on him. Just some guys aren't built that way. They're not wired that way. And I think if he was a little bit smaller, maybe an average size guy that might not have had to have been part of his arsenal. Oh, yeah, and that, that is what you see, right? Like, even uh, we were talking about him earlier there, Ter- Terrence Sandwith. Yeah. Big guy. Yeah. Uh, and probably, you know, when I played him, I think he was towards the end of yeah. his game and didn't really want to try to go toe-to-toe with me. You know what I mean? Right. So, same type of thing. Like, you got the guys that are in there that want to do it and want to show everybody. And then you got the other guys that are doing it for their team and don't really want to be there. Right. But 
again, awesome respect to those guys because they're doing it for their team. So, yep. Uh, all right. The one fight this year that I, I want to ask you about the most January 26th at uh, arena at Harbor yard, Bridgeport, Connecticut, you got Stone Cold Steve McLaren versus the Hand of God, Eric Goddard. What do you remember about that fight? I remember that being a good fight. Yeah. I mean, he was a big guy, younger guy coming in. Gave me respect. Yeah. Like, I mean, he came on the ice off the bench. I had been on the ice for 30, 35, 40 seconds, whatever. Uh, he skated over during the wheels. He said, you know, you, you want to give me a go? Like uh, Mr. McLaren type of thing. Excuse me. He said, uh, yeah, Mr. McLaren, will you give me a go? And I, uh, he goes, I, sorry. Then he followed that by, I know you've been out here. You know, I'll wait till you're, we come out at the same time. I was like, no, no, man, let's do it now. Is that, that's who I was. I didn't yeah, care. Right. Um, so we fought right then. Good fight. I mean, he had, we had the same agent. Yeah. Toe to toe, bombs. You know, switching hands, both hands, both of us type of thing. I know I tagged him a couple of times. We ended up both drawn back, same thing, and then just, okay, that's enough type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did tell me, though, in the in the penalty box, he goes, okay, Steve, I know now I know why most of the guys don't want to fight you. <laughs> he goes, it's because you punch like a truck. <laughs> so if I punch like a truck, that's what it is, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> We go into your second year in St. Louis, and you really, uh, I mean, it almost seems like you dressed for every exhibition game. I mean, it, uh, that's got to, for a guy that, that had played as long as you had played at this point, it seems like the team's giving you an opportunity to show what you can do. I have you down for four fights in the exhibition. None of these guys are, are uh, easy goings here. You started off with the big boy that you're, I think you're still friends with, Mitch Fritz, uh, fought him uh, when he was with Nashville. Uh, what's it like fighting a guy that long, that big? Well, they, they can almost, uh, it, it could turn into a scenario where the, the, the decision is his. You know what I mean? Like, if he decides he doesn't want to fight, then he can, he can almost make it into a scenario. Like, what, what am I going to do? Right. You know, not, you can almost not hit him because of how long his arms are. Mm-hmm. But again, that's where I you know, figured I was strong enough to bend anybody's arms and hit them. So, but yeah, no, Fritzy, big, big man. Like you, you got to do what you can do to get inside and try to do your work in there because you can't stand on the outside. You, there's nothing you can do. Right. So, mm-hmm. but again, yeah, no, I do get, I did get along good with Fritzy and uh, we do chat here and there still. A couple of nights later, you fought his uh, teammate, another Nashville uh, player looking to make an impression, Nathan Parrott. Yeah. I had played with, uh, Nathan in Chicago, so I knew his game. wasn't worried about that. Uh, his his game was kind of like I explained earlier, like Sasha Lakovic that gets you in tight and sort of punches from the side that, in my mind, don't have the heat on them they need. But but Nathan was a, a killer in his own right. So I mean, uh, a lot of other guys were worried about him. I'd say a couple of days later, played Minnesota and the, the parrot fight and this fight were I don't have video of, so I didn't know how it went. Uh, against Minnesota, you fought Sylvain Blouin. Uh, do you remember that one? Yeah, I remember getting into it with him, but I don't remember it as being one of the highlight fights. Like I always say, if you look at, a, at at some of my fights in hockey, obviously, if you look at them, you'll see I you'll see me letting go of the, the other guy's 
uh, dominant arm lots just to get the fight going. Like, here, man, I'll let go of your right, and I'll try to throw one of my lefts just to get the fight going. Like, you know, we don't want to look like we're out here hugging. And that, that didn't happen with Blue A, I don't think. Like, it was more hugging, so... Yeah, that I think that's the knock on him, even from uh, some of his teammates. You know that I've heard that from uh, from some of them as well. Well, another guy that never you never had to worry about hugging. And I think if there was a guy the most similar to you, it probably Ryan Vandenbush. Guy, you just throw a bunch of punches. It seems like impossible to hurt. And this, I I think this was the first time you'd ever fought him. Was this exhibition season? Uh, he's with Chicago. You're with St. Louis. And like I said, to me, you guys are so similar. I think you're both around the same size. Can't hurt you guys, and you just throw to you throw to kill. It's like kill shots all the time. Uh, talk about fighting Ryan Vandenbush and like your series of fights with him. So Ryan Vandenbush, I had seen fighting here with Daniel fighting Bonvi fighting uh, Bonvi being for the Centennials. Vandenbush was where was he Newmarket or something or yeah Newmarket. He wasn't in Sudbury. That was Kitteroni. Yeah. So I mean, I'd seen him fighting that and. And I had seen what he had done to Kiprios, and I had seen uh, numbers of, you know, fights. Like, I saw all the fights with him and Friedrich, and so I knew the guy was tough, uh, like, very tough. Uh, and I knew that, you know, going into this, I wanted, you know, show that I'm the toughest guy that's six feet tall. <laughs> so, I mean, I was ready, right? I was ready. I worked out hard that year, everything like that. So when we came together... Man, I just grabbed him and knew he was a lefty. So I'm like, okay, I'm bringing my right as hard as I can. You do what you can with your left, but hopefully it hits my elbow as I'm hitting your face. And I think about the first eight punches. That is exactly what happened. <laughs> I, like, I mean, I hit, the, I hit him hard, 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 hard. Like, that's one of the guys I remember hitting the hardest because my hand was pretty purple. I mean, throwing the rights, and then he was trying to throw the lefts. Like, I mean, he went down a couple of times, but... Still, like, instantly right back up and tried fighting still. Yeah. And then I switched to the lefts and then back to the rights. And then there was blood everywhere, and I didn't want to fight anymore because he was bleeding everywhere. <laughs> it was just kind of pushed him away from me so he didn't drip on me. And that was the end of that. They brought the Zamboni and the Rink Rat guys out to clean up the blood. Actually, uh, the next shift, I got to tell you this. Yeah. Keith Kachuk lined up with him next period. And uh, he comes to me after. I mean, who knows? This might have yeah. just been to pump up my confidence, right? Because I'm fighting for these guys. Yeah. But he came to me and goes, Steve, I, I don't think he I, When I lined up with him, I told him, I, I don't think you should be out here. Are you okay? Because he said his eyes were still spinning like those little saucers there. Yeah. <laughs> so I, but like I said, I, I hit him hard and he took it and still tried to fight. So A couple of guys I want to ask you about that uh, you ended up playing that season in Worcester with. Um one guy who I don't think he I don't think he was there that long, so I don't know how much interaction you may have had with him, but um he's a guy that Islander fans know because he ended up breaking his neck here in a game and that's Kevin Colley. Uh do you remember playing with Kevin at all? I do. He was he was about a five eight, five yeah. nine guy. Yep. And he, he fought too. Yeah. He was tough. I, yeah. I don't remember too much about the the games and that now, but I remember him having heart. So that's a big thing job wanting to be there so yeah i, I know i didn't put him breaking his neck in that though yeah he um well just so you know i'd ask him about what he remembered about you and he said uh i just know that steve was a warrior an amazing teammate he did whatever it took to win hockey games 
I don't, and he said it himself, he goes, I don't have too much more because I wasn't there that long. But uh, yeah, he actually, when he finally got called up here to the island, I think it was Jamie Heward. I don't think it was dirty. It checked him. I, I shouldn't say I don't think it was dirty. I, I'm trying to remember now. Uh, basically went head first into the boards, yeah. uh, broke his neck. So it was an unfortunate incident. Finally achieve your dream and then to have it end that way. But um, I see him every year when they do the alumni weekends here. He comes every year. So hopefully he's coming next month uh, when they have it again. But uh, but like you said, tough guy, little guy. Doesn't doesn't take a yeah. backseat to anybody. I mean, I've played with guys before and seen this uh, scenario happen. Like here for the Centennials when we won the Robertson Cup, B.J. McPherson. Yeah. He was playing in the coastal part ended up getting a broken neck slammed into the goalie's post or whatever. So it happened. Yeah. What do you remember about Jeremy Oblonsky? Love Jeremy. We uh, we went out one of the nights in Worcester, uh, <laughs> cowboy style, I'll say. <laughs> we drank everything the bar had and then tried to get a bottle to bring home. And I think we ended up jumping a, a median. And one of the highways in Worcester, like, jumped from one side to the other in the air in my pickup truck. Oh, my God. That was pretty crazy, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave that one. But, oh, yeah, Aber and I got along really good. Uh, we ended up working out. I mean, we weren't there that long together. Right. Uh, he followed me up to St. Louis, too, when I got hurt. And yeah. uh, prior to that, yeah, no, him and I were working out together. And good guy. Yeah. I mean, he's he's one of the guys I'd like to talk to again now. I got to get his number from Gillies or whatever. I ended up saying hi to Gillies the other day. Yeah, he was giving me shit. He's like, where's this interview with Stone Cold? I'm like, we're getting to it. We're getting to it. We got to keep. I said, trying to match up my days off and no snow in North Bay. But uh, but he's chomping at the bit yeah. to hear this. So, uh, so yeah, I know him and uh, yeah. Gills and Yabo are like best buds. So Terry Virtue, every time I ask him about, a guy he played with, he always comes up with these things out of left field that just make me laugh. So I asked him, I said, Virch, what do you remember about Steve? He said, him and his wife only had two recliners in their apartment. That's it. And he liked to drink Jaeger. So yeah. is that true? All you guys had in the apartment with two recliners? No, at the start of the year, I uh, I was getting new furniture. So I went in and I bought, I bought two, you know, you know the Friends. The Friends Lazy yes. Boys, yes. brown rock yes. recliner, Lazy Boy, yeah. leather. Now, I went in and I bought two of those to put in front of the TV. Okay. So the wife and I can, you know, when we're trying to watch TV right. in our separate chairs. But then, yeah, no, shortly after followed the sofa love seat and chair and the end table. <laughs> and, but, yeah, no, it was the two brown Friends <laughs> recliners in front of the TV for a bit. That's what it took, man. I needed yep. to relax, so I needed my lazy boy. <laughs> <laughs> so give me a Terry Virtue story. Oh, boy. Man, I don't know. You know what? Now now we're getting into the the Dave Chazowskis, the Terry Virtue. That, I'm not saying the same type of player, but I mean yep. just a, a guy that's a character, great for the team. And, you know, uh, I, I honestly don't even know what else to say. I mean, I yeah, yeah love Virtue. He was a good guy, good uh Good team player, good captain, good assistant, all that stuff. So I can't take nothing yeah. away from him, man. He always played hard. I don't even think he had knees left and he played hard. Yeah, just this, you know, salty veteran, you know, defenseman, just hitting everybody, right? I, kind of guy every team needs. I, I do remember him telling me that I guess this would have been, was it in, he was in Hartford. We played against them. Somebody did something. 
and uh, or well, I was the one that did something actually. I ran <laughs> somebody, and uh, he he went he went to come flying into the aid of his teammate, and I threw a punch that's just. I'm sure he heard the wind go by his ear because he remembered it and told me about it the next year type of thing when we got playing <laughs> together. He was like, yeah, I didn't really want to jump in there. And he goes, your hand just went right beside my head. He goes, I'm glad that didn't hit me. <laughs> but no, virtual guy. Yeah, yeah. Got along good with him too. The last fight, I, I want to talk about some of the fights I that you had, but <clears throat> excuse me, the last fight you had, uh, was in January against Ryan Flynn. Did you get did you get hurt and miss the rest of the season? Not not necessarily in that fight, but uh, did you get hurt like uh, at some point, maybe in January or something, and miss the rest of the year? No, that game. Okay, I was uh, or checking on the right wing. The puck had been dumped in. I was bombing down, and the goalie uh, went to dump the puck along the boards. And I was coming in, you know, chasing down the puck. So when he went to shoot it, he shot it, you know, beside me off the boards or whatever. But he came up with his stick, hit me in the left eyebrow, knocked my helmet off. And my, you know, feet and everything went up in the air and my head hit the ice. Oh, shit. And then maybe half a period later, pretty sure, yeah, Flynn jumped me from behind and punched me in the back of the head. Like, we didn't even fight so I, I don't like I don't even you know nothing really happened there. But yeah, no, that was the the one the concussion I got there. So, but yeah, goalie stick. That was the only cut I ever got in my face too. The whole your whole career, whole career, only one. Is that so? That's how you're so pretty still. Yep. Well, uh, no, sorry. There was another cut, but it was where the bones were sticking out through my skin when Parker <laughs> broke my nose. Yeah, well, I think everyone so, kind of figured I mean, that one, but... <laughs> that, that was a little yeah, more that serious. that was a little cut. That, that was a little... Yeah, there was more bone there. That was just yeah. two zips. No, uh, that was the only cut I took in my uh, career in the face was the high stick from the goalie. So you had, uh, mm-hmm. was that one, two, three, four? I got uh, one, two, three, eight fights this year. Uh, just throw out some of the names. Uh, I think I, I did. I, I read it in an article, but I didn't see it. Uh, game against Manitoba. You TKO John Craighead. Is that right? Yeah, that was fast. Yeah. I don't know how, uh, like, it, it was one of those things where I didn't even really think I'd hit him or whatever. Yeah. But, hey, we'll take it. Yeah. You know, those happen too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, it looks good on the resume. Yeah, exactly. Some so I got uh, Ryan Tobler, who it seems like at this point you were fighting at least once a year. Uh, Dougie Dowell uh, with St. John's at the time. Uh, Martin Grenier also this year, who you had fought the year before, um, and then a game against Albany you had fought Jason LaHue and uh, Brett Cloutier. So uh, I know I just threw a bunch of names out at you, but I don't know if any of those uh, jump out for any reason. Well, I remember having a couple of goes with Grenier. Yeah, uh, that that was. He, I, I want to say, was it Aaron McKenzie? Anyways, he took some liberties on the smaller guys. So then uh, that was one of the ones where I I had to make him fight me type of thing. Mm-hmm. So right off the draw, I just skated at him, threw my gloves off, grabbed him. But yeah, he was a strong man. Yeah, oh yeah. Like he had strength. One of the fights there, we were throwing pretty good. I was switching, using lefts and rights. He was coming straight up the pipe with the rights. Mm-hmm. 
but then he he just he just grabbed me and threw me on the ice. Like my <laughs> leg went out from underneath me and everything. Like he wasn't punching. He literally just grabbed me and threw me on the ice. I was like, ooh, that's a strong guy. But I mean, I had fought him the first his first year or whatever. Uh, the first time I fought him, mm-hmm. he just tried to hold on. Yeah. But I mean, he was a rookie coming on, I believe, the Quebec League at that point. So yeah, yeah, he got better. He got stronger. How so? How was the recovery from that concussion? I mean, was it? Uh, I mean, yet you didn't play for the last couple of months, and you uh, you never had one before that, had you? No, not 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 anything like that. Like I actually ended up with the post concussion syndrome. They call it second strike or whatever you call. It. But I got to tell you, I was waking up every morning, yeah. feeling like I was really really hungover. I mean, that's that's kind of the thing that Lindros went through too, right? Like you, right. It makes you feel like, shit, I might as well go out and drink and party and feel a little good if I'm going to feel this crappy every morning anyway. Yeah. But no, that's not because you don't know, you know what I mean? Like, I'm so used to not, I never felt anything. Yeah. Like, never once did I feel a guy punch me. Yeah. And I don't, you know, whether it's really, really crazy adrenaline or whatever but whatever that the crazy adrenaline and scramble is definitely something that i had because i never felt anybody hit me yeah um until after right you know you'd be in the shower and washing your hair and you'd be like oh there's a knuckle mark or there's a bump <laughs> and uh so yeah i just wasn't sure how it was because you did come back for the playoffs yeah you played three games in the playoffs so i wasn't sure uh you know i've never had i mean i well i've never played professional hockey but i don't think i've ever had a concussion so i didn't know how it was coming back for those playoff games yeah well i mean i had had a a a bad concussion when i was a kid so i i had been through that before like i slipped and fell back on the sliding hill at our uh what do you call it their public school and uh, laid there for i guess about a half an hour or so before I got up and started walking home because this was after school. Yeah. And I was vomiting and, you know, right away, mom's like, okay, we got to go to the hospital. I think I might have been, what was I, 10 or something. Had to go to the hospital and spend the night and they had to wake me up every few minutes to make sure I was okay. And so that, that was a bad concussion there, but never led to anything. Like they say, the, the second strike is what does it, right? Right. So in that scenario, if I would have got hit again, uh, or fell, or that I might have been in that post-concussion syndrome right then. Right, right. But, oh, but that was a very tough thing to deal with, the concussion, because you want to be there, you want to do something, you feel like you're you're on the sidelines, but you can't even do anything. Like, I, all I could do is take my dog for a walk. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd have a screaming headache, so. Ugh. But once it cleared up, fine and good to go. So your your whole career, you know, there's obviously been parts of your career that I know people are are interested in hearing your opinions on, and uh, you know, be it you know the Parker fight, which we talked about, the Chris Murray fight, which we talked about. But uh, I think anyone that's a, a fan of your entire body of work, I think this is the year that I am most interested in hearing about because this is this is the part of the interview that we we talk about where you kind of anyone that's having a rough time, you tell them don't give up and you keep persevering and, you know, good things can happen. But, you know, before we get to that, you know, it's a little foreshadowing for people, but before we get to that, let's start at the beginning of the 2003-04 season. And uh, you had an exhibition game against Dallas 
uh, first go around with uh, Mike Zagroy, uh, toe-to-toe fight, really good showing for both of you guys. And the one thing that hit me about this fight and this season in general, it's what we, we talked about going back to your first year pro where you were the young guy playing against a lot of the veteran guys. And now you're the veteran guy, but you're not just fighting these younger guys. These guys are like Terminators coming in now. Now all these guys, they're not just tough. Now you're getting the Segroys. You're getting the Gillies who we're going to talk about. So it's kind of coming full circle now in your career. So I guess we'll start with that uh, that Segroy fight uh, when he was with Dallas. What do you remember about that one? Yeah, no, I remember going into the uh, the game, and I, you know, at this point, I don't know too much about the guy, but somebody says, "Oh, he's pretty tough," or you know, you get a, you get a little hearsay about things. Um, I didn't get to see any video, but it was that, oh no, he had fought in Ultimate Fighting, and of course, the guy's a big man. I think what he was, he six five or something, it looked oh, like God. a big. Dude. So I mean, you want to be ready. Yeah, we ended up getting squared off there. We had, we had a pretty good goal. It was fast. It was a lot of punches quick. Uh, it went not too bad. Uh, one thing he had that I hated, he'd always pull the front of my jersey over my face. Like, we had a couple of fights uh, after this. But that's the one thing, man, it, it would almost drape my ass. He'd grab the front of my jersey and pull it over my face. And it, not being able to see puts you in an in a instant defensive position. But anyways, yeah, no, we... Uh, we had a good goal, and then, yeah, he pulled the jersey up over the front of my face. I couldn't see, went in, threw a bomb. We tumbled down to the side, so it looked good for both of us. It was yeah. an R8, but, yeah, we ended up falling down to the side at the end of it. No, Nobody hurt, nobody nothing, so. Yeah, for someone like myself, I think you both look great, you know, as long as no one gets hurt. You guys, uh, very impressive showing. So you start the year in Worcester, and we're looking at some of these guys, that you played with here. And I'm wondering, you know, due to injuries, due to call-ups, whatever, was there ever a time, because you played 35 games that year, I'm just trying to picture you and Mitch Fritz, Jeremy Yablonski, and Brett Scheffelmeyer in the lineup at the same time down there. Now, you may not remember, but did you four guys, do you remember ever dress at any time in the same game? Yeah, I'm not sure if uh, Fritzer and uh, for, sorry, Fritzy and Yabber were there at were they there at the same time? They might not have been. That's that's what I'm, I'm wondering sure, if one yeah. was there and then one was there later on. But that would have been pretty formidable the four of you guys. Oh yeah, well they Fritzy definitely had the height covered and the rest of us had the size. I mean Shufflebyer was six six or something yeah. too, right? So mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh Yabba <laughs> was as wide as those guys are tall. Yeah, exactly. And it's definitely <laughs> heavier he had a couple of fights again with Dougie Dowell uh who was in Providence at the time and the problem with these fights these fights I have the video of and it looks like the guy was filming them from the moon I don't you can't you can barely see it all you'd see it's almost like the old Atari hockey where it looks like two stick figures almost fighting um it's hard to tell if anything uh anything of note landed I don't know if you remember the uh the two fight game you had with Dougie Dowell yeah, one of them was after he threw a, a big hit. I mean, it, one of those things, it was actually a pretty clean hit, other than the fact that there, there might have been a little bit of a, a charge involved to make it as hard as it was. Mm-hmm. So that was the time I had to go jump on the ice and go have a chat with him right away. Um, no, the fights I had with Dougie, like, he's a strong enough guy, too, but we would uh, push, pull, push, pull, try to switch hands type of thing. 
it was a lot of flailing and flopping around, so we never really got to any good toe-to-toe standing and throwing battles, but we, we were there. We showed up. <laughs> oh, always, always. Now, one guy I just mentioned, his last name, uh, talk about the, the Terminators now that are coming into the league, uh, you know, getting their, you know, working their way up through the leagues and not making their, their mark in the American League. And that's Trevor Gillies. And uh, Trevor Gillies, a mutual friend of both of ours, and I asked Gillies and told him um, – that I was having you on the show and he said, I have a ton of respect and love for stone cold, Steve McLaren. He's as tough as they come in my opinion ever. And I'm very thankful that he gave me tough goes back in the day to get established. So, uh, I mean, Gillies is, I mean, he really is the, the prototype of an assassin on the ice and just a sweetheart off the ice, like off the ice. He's, I mean, even when we're together, he's always telling people about me, and I'm like, no one cares about me. They're here to see yeah. you, you know. And he's yeah. just such a such a tremendous human being. But just make sure you stay on his good side. But uh, you had three fights with him, I believe, that season. Um, what do you remember about about fighting the guy, and uh, and what are your thoughts on him in general? Well, I, like obviously a fantastic guy. No uh, no jumping was was all about the. You know, trying to prove his toughness, not just show the crowd he could fall on somebody. Uh, so, like I said, no, he didn't want to jump anybody or anything, and I, I appreciated that. I mean, he uh, he wanted to go the first time, and I was like, yeah, let's do it, you know. No problem. It's it's the part of the game that we're in, so we got to do it. Yeah, it never felt like he was uh, shying away from it. He was in it for the penny or the pound, just like I was, so... Mm-hmm. Our fights were good. There was not a lot of defense. I mean, <laughs> after the first barrage of punches from the, the both of us or whatever, then it'd get into a little bit of sleeve twisting, arm grabbing, trying to get the next couple off. But, uh, no, we had we had some good good tilts. And, uh, like you said, honorable guy, like no no problems whatsoever. For a guy, I, I tell him this all the time, and when I, when I talk about him to other people, I, I, I say this, and it's it's unbelievable. He's so beloved here. For you would think that he played 150 games here, 200 games. For how beloved he is here, the fans here, he can't go Maybe anywhere. He can, when he's in the arena, I mean, he has to sort of walk in. He doesn't. He he talks to everybody. He is so popular here that you would think he played 150, 200 games. With that, when I look at this, the first time I was like, I want to see how many games he played. I was stunned because he played parts of the three seasons, but. He he is absolutely one of the mo- most beloved players. I- I'll say it that ever wore the crest, and this is an organization here that has four Stanley Cups. But yeah. that guy walks around the arena; he's the king. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, I, I think the the fans recognize what the the players are there for too, right? I mean, yeah. you got a, a lot of your fan favorites were the the old fighter guys or the ones that didn't mind throwing their face in front of the punch to protect their teammate or to get the job done. I mean, we've talked about it before. It is like gladiators, but I mean, you're, you're doing it for a reason, you know, it's not just cause you're crazy or whatever. You're doing it for a reason. And that's what some people like you're saying there, the respect that Gilly's got, that's what it's for. They understood that he was there fighting for the crest and for the guys in his locker room. So less than a month after that game where you fought, uh, Dougie Dow twice. He had a three-fight game against Providence. Uh, Darren Van Own was was one of the fights. He didn't. He's a big kid, but he didn't really seem like he was interested. Not that I can blame him. Uh, you fought Dougie Dowell again, but I think the highlight fight of that evening was uh, the first battle uh, that you had with Colt Noor. Uh, can you talk about that fight? 
Okay. I'll, I think I, I had the two fights with Colton Orr. Um, yep. This was the first, the first one. Okay, this, if this was the first one, yeah, yeah. it was uh, it was pretty quick. We lined, uh, did we line up together? No, we ended up, the puck got dumped down along the boards. We ended up coming together to get the puck. Yeah, then it was a quick drop the gloves, square off, grab, and I mean, I got the first probably five punches off while he was still warming up, I guess. I'm not sure, but he went out on his back, flat on his back, so I think he had to go off and get his lips fixed up a bit, too. There was some damage done. Middle of December. You get the call. You get you get the call. Now, who called you? Where were you? And tell me how that call went. Well, so we're going down. Uh, we're actually playing down in Norfolk. A uh, big, long bus trip, that type of thing. Um, how did it go here? I wasn't sure. I think the night before, the coach, uh, Donnie Granado, came in, and he, he had mentioned something to me about that Reed Lowe might have been hurt or something. You know, just another thing to make you nervous before a game. Uh, but anyways, yeah, so he had, he had mentioned something about that. And then sure enough, after the game, I mean, it wasn't the best scenario because we were on a, a road trip, but a short road trip. Uh, in the minor league team, we didn't have to wear the full suit. As long as we had a collar jacket and a, you know, like a golf shirt on, and a pair of dress pants or something, we were good to go. So I didn't have a whole lot of stuff with me. And then the, uh, sure enough, yeah, after the game, the call came in that, you know, get your stuff ready. You're going to be uh, flying up to St. Louis. They got a game there tomorrow or what was it? Is it a couple of days against, uh, I think it was going to be Columbus. Yep. And uh, yeah, get, get up there. So Sure enough, like I said, I had nothing with me. You know, I had a toothbrush in the pocket of my uh, Reggie Dunlop leather jacket type of thing. And now was trying to make my way to the NHL. Uh, so, yeah, as soon as I got there, that's exactly what happened. It was a dressing room, talk to the guys, find where I was going to be staying, and then uh, get into the Galleria uh, Mall in St. Louis and get a suit and a pair of dress pants and a tie and... <laughs> You know, I couldn't, I couldn't go to that game without the suit and tie on. So, yeah, I had to get settled in and actually go buy clothes before I could go to a game. After you found out you were getting the call, who was the first phone call that you made to tell somebody? No, I mean, sure, absolutely right to my, uh, to my mom. Like, mm-hmm. she'd been there the whole time, you know. I had the, the, the wife was incorporated right away, so yeah. she knew what was going on. And then it was right to, right to, right to back home to mom, so... <laughs> Oh, it was going to happen. She spent a lot of money and a lot of time with me as a kid. So, uh, were you were you able to get your mom to the game, the first game? Uh, no, she wasn't able to make it down. Uh, the her fiance or husband guy at the time there, he was uh, he was pretty sick, so they couldn't make it down to fly down. But I knew they were there anyway, type of thing. They were watching the game, so absolutely. Uh, so I read a funny story about uh, a ride to practice. Uh, you were riding with Christian Backman. Um, let me, it was Christian Backman and Mark Rycroft, I think. Uh, there was a funny story involving uh, getting to practice one day. Yeah, I don't remember it a hundred percent, but uh, we had we had taken the early ramp or something, just mind 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 cramp type of thing, and 
the next thing I knew, we were doubling back, and that, that's kind of how it came out, was I was like, man, like, I've waited so long to get here, man. Don't don't have me be late getting to practice first day. Like, you don't want this to happen. And no. I think that's probably what the remarks were about, so. Any significance to the number 80, or is that just what they gave you when you walked into the room? Yeah, no, that that's just what was hanging there. And you know what? Just, just to have a jersey that was going to be the, you know, it, it didn't matter to me what number it was. The exhibition games I'd played with the Flyers, I was wearing 55, and I had worn different numbers in the past, too, in exhibition games and whatnot. So it, it didn't matter to me as long as uh, it had the crest on the front and people knew who I was out there. So You seem like the kind of guy that's pretty cool. Like, you don't get too amped up or too too low, too down. You kind of keep everything in check. Um the day of that first game against Columbus, were you able to take your pregame nap? Were you able to go through your usual routine, or were there uh, more nerves than usual, which would obviously be understandable? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely there was more uh, nerves than usual. I mean, good good thing to say was, yeah, we were playing a team where who the heavyweight tough guy was. I had already fought four times or five times, I believe. Um. So, you know, there was a little bit more relaxed there, but just just not even the fighting, just going out in the jersey onto the ice and that. And, yeah, I mean, I, I had to go to the washroom about every five minutes just to make sure because I didn't want to be on the bench having to leave the bench to go to the washroom, you know. Like, that was that was the nerve, though, yeah. Had to pee, had to pee. <laughs> <laughs> so the one thing I, I always like to ask, ask player, you know, players like yourself especially that – didn't get a ton of time up there. Obviously, you didn't take any moments at all for granted. Um, now, you had come out for warm-ups in pro games for several years, and you've come out for warm-ups in exhibition games with NHL teams for several years. Now you're coming out of the tunnel for a warm-up against an NHL team in a game that counts. Did Was the air just a little sweeter? Was it just kind of like I've made it? Or did you were you able to kind of take it all in for what it was? And including standing on the bench for the national anthem, like that is, I, I hope that you were able to soak everything all in for what it was worth. Yeah, I mean, it, really building up to that, like you're saying, I mean, it was an emotional uh, event for sure. Uh, right, like you're saying, the 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 national anthems, the all of that stuff. Like just to be there, be part of it, and know you know all those fans are there. And obviously, at one point, the one-on-one battles, cheering my name. You know, nobody else's. I was yeah. the one there doing it. And yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of emotions. And you know, you just you just got to ride it. Mm-hmm. Just got to ride it out and feel it. And I think that's what makes you feel alive, anyway, is those emotions and that adrenaline and. So I mean, it was unbelievable. I'm uh, I'm sure you think about him every day, but at some point, I bet during the warm up or during the anthem, you had to think about your dad. Oh yeah, I mean, anybody that had anything to do with my hockey career, and I mean, that that was going back to number one and two, right? Mom and yeah. dad, and all the five in the morning practices at the sometimes an outdoor rink where it was minus twenty and things like that that you you don't always hear about while they were there and put that all in and absolutely uh, emotional for that reason too family you know you can't get any of those thoughts out of your head while it's happening so that's a good thing too yeah um second shift of your first game is when you and uh, you and Jody Shelley dropped the gloves uh 
Joe Quenville, I think, said after the game that you were wound tighter than a drum uh, before the game, and uh, you have a great tilt to introduce yourself to the Blues faithful. Uh, was there any sort of chat with him uh, before before the fight? Obviously, someone you're familiar with, and he's familiar with you. Yeah, no, it was uh, he was good about it, right? I same thing off the uh, face off draw. I said, "Are you ready? We're going to go here." And he obliged. You know, he he could have walked away too or whatever. And uh, but no, he obliged and. We had our fight. We squared off. There was no uh, jumping or anything. And, you know, it was a decent fight. We threw our punches and, uh, you know, at the end of it, you know, we're both still standing there and the, the war was over, but made a made a difference in the game. So uh, one thing you have in common with pretty much everyone else that's been on the show is that you're ferocious when you have to be, but off the ice, you're, you're a big teddy bear, whether you want to admit it or not. And, uh, I know while you were with the Blues, you made a visit to a children's hospital, and it was around Christmas. And, you know, one of the perks, there are many perks of being a professional athlete, but one of the perks, you can really change the spirit in a child, you know, whether it's after a game, signing an autograph, or in this case, you're visiting, you know, children in a hospital. Uh, just tell me how that feels when you, you're there with the team and you go in to make a visit. It had to be special right around Christmas, too. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um you're in a, you're in a position where you know people do get to watch you you know bloom or watch you blossom or because it's a a visual event uh, and there's so many people's jobs that they don't have that you know there's there's not fans for it uh, because it's not a spectacle or whatever so when you're in a position like that and can go into a, a hospital where there's needy children or whatnot and you know, you, you can help them out just with a smile. Like you're saying, it was Christmas time. It was, and there was a number of us that went and, you know, it, it not only brings the joy to them. I mean, I, I would get that heartwarming feeling myself. So that, and that is what it's all about, about that time of year. And I mean, come on, I was, I was going through, like you say, the emotional roller coaster, finally getting called up, going through that. I mean, I, I wanted to share that joy too. So that was nice being there. A couple of games later, you're playing Chicago, uh, your former team, and you end up at two fights in that game, one with uh, Ryan Vandenbush, your second fight against him in your career, and uh, later against Jonathan Aiken. Now, you're you're a bit removed from being a Chicago player, Chicago property. Was it? And obviously, listen, you're it's your first taste of the NHL. You you want to do well against any team. Obviously, you're going to give 100% against any team. Did it make it any? any different because it was against a team that had drafted you and, and didn't give you an opportunity, uh, you know, a call up, let's just say, obviously maybe opportunities were not there, were there, but you never got a chance to show what you could do with the big club. Yeah. I mean, you're always trying to prove yourself. I mean, in, in, in the fighting scenario to everybody, Yeah. but yeah, I mean, in a scenario like that, like, you know, when I left Chicago, yeah, they had brought uh, Vanden Bush in. I knew that was something that was going to be in my way if I was getting a shot there. And, you know, and then, then I wasn't there anymore. So uh, to come back and have those opportunities, yeah, it was time to stand up and prove what I wanted them to see prior to that now. But, yeah, so a little bit more push. One thing that I, in the articles that I had read, it really seemed like your teammates in St. Louis, really, really took a liking to you, I mean, immediately. And, you know, it, it's, to me, a, a team is a team, and I, I think 
as fans, sometimes we like to romanticize it, but obviously it's a workplace. And just like I may not get along with everyone I work with, sometimes people may not see eye to eye in a sports environment. But it seems like these guys just fell in love with you right away. And, and we're not talking about just anybody. We're talking about the superstars, we're talking about Keith Kachuk, talking about players like that. And I know, according to an article I read, you actually had a conversation with Scott Mellenby during the Christmas break regarding your salary and what the veterans were prepared to do to keep you up with the blues. Do you remember that conversation? Yeah, not not word for word, right. but I remember the the situation because it it had worried me a bit at the time uh about what was happening. But um yeah, I mean the, the the veteran guys were great. I I made sure going into every game that I was there, you know, like we we talked about earlier, I was there as the crest on the front of the jersey like at that point it didn't matter what the name was on the back, so I wanted those guys to know before the games, like I'd ask Keith Kachuk, you know, anybody giving you any problems in the past games or those types of things like him, Mellonby, Pronger, I'd, I'd ask those guys before because that's what I was there to do. And, you know, if I could do that for them and make them feel safer also in the game, well, they were the superstars that were going to win the game for us. So, I mean, I wanted those guys to let me know. And in every case, yeah, there was, there was a name mentioned, but I mean, it was the same name that my agent and I had talked about and that, I knew who it was anyways, right? So, And what were the veterans prepared to do to keep you there? Oh, uh, yeah, okay. So at one point, I, I was worried because uh, uh, Scott Mellonby had come to me and asked me what my salary was. And the reason I was worried was because I thought, well, man, I, I don't know. Like, did I forget to tip the trainers or something? Like, I just got here. You know, I, you, obviously, you don't want to be making a mistake with anything, especially if it's going to be uh, somebody's feelings that, you know, you want this to be a, a good time for yourself. But no, he said, no, it wasn't that, just that because I was there for the team uh, and, and showed it to the guys, uh, I wasn't sure what he was uh, leaning towards. But anyway, what the, the facts were was he was wondering what my salary was uh, at the NHL level because him and Pronger and Kachuk and uh, Demetra and whatever, I guess, were saying they were going to go to the team and say if the, if the team wanted to send me back to the minors that they would pick up my salary to keep me there because of what I was doing for them and being the guy that I was now, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have thought anything like that would have happened, but I was there for the team and was trying to show that. And in this scenario, I guess those guys recognized it and what a, what a great thing to say though. Like, I mean, I was flying high after that too. So this, the job that you do, the job that anyone does that's been on this show is to be there for your teammates this is sort of like the ultimate compliment coming from the, the guys in the room. I, I can't think of a greater compliment that they're willing to take money out of their own pockets to keep you there. I, I don't know if there's a, a a better thing you could say to someone that does your job. Yeah, and I mean, absolutely. That That is how I received it once I re- realized I uh, wasn't making a mistake or had missed doing something. <laughs> But yeah, great, great feeling. And I was glad that I could do, provide that for those guys for the little bit of time I was there. So next up game against Colorado and you fought a 747 named Peter Worrell. Um, now Pete's a big, strong man. Uh, I think you have a lot better balance than he does, but what was it like fighting that monster? You know what? This, this goes back a, a few years because I had seen him come out of, uh, I believe the team he was on played in the Memorial cup also. Yeah. Uh, back. Canada. Yep. So I mean, I had seen him there, 
And every time I saw these guys that were these big monsters and it just brought that challenge out in me. Um, and I always knew that I was going to be stronger. So when, when I saw a guy like him coming up as a younger guy, and now I didn't get to meet him in the minors uh, before meeting him in the NHL, but the way I saw it going was me being stronger and taking those long arms and bending them. And right there, now I'm right in his face. So I don't know. It was, uh, you know, and I, that's kind of what happened in the fight. Like we came together I asked him to go. He had no problem. Uh, we squared off. It was all respectful, whatnot. Yeah, and then it was just a, a matter of me switching hands and ducking and bobbing and weaving. And I mean, I throw some of my punches on the inside are pretty quick. You don't even see them when I switch hands, mm -hmm. but you sometimes see the uh, the effect of it. And I mean, I popped them a few times, and the last little left I threw, well, he gave a little wiggle and reached around and bear hugged me and told me he was done and called the refs in. So I felt like I had done my job there. Your final NHL game, uh, rematch against Columbus, uh, rematch against Jody Shelley. Uh, unfortunately, in this bout, you ended up with a concussion. Uh, was it, uh, when I watched the fight, was it the first right that he threw that gave you the concussion or did it happen later? Yeah, you know, like I said before, I never really tried to jump anybody. I mean, I did it once or twice in my whole career. Uh, and was kind of pushed into it. I, I wanted to be the honest guy all the time. So that second fight with Shelly, yeah, I was, you know, out on the ice. We were on the face-off. I asked him, I said, are you ready to go tonight? And he said, no, no, we're not going tonight. And to be honest with you, bad on me for letting my guard down just for that split second, because mm -hmm. I should have known better, but I did. I just, I let my guard down for that split second, and he was gloves off, bomb, you know, like I was, still trying to get my gloves off. It wasn't a total, total jump, but right. yeah, no, I let my guard down for that second. He tagged me with the first punch and then it was okay. Get inside, pull myself together and start throwing. And then I split them open with a pretty good left on the inside. Again, I threw two right towards the end of the fight and one of them caught him right on the lip and split them open really good. But other than that, no, we went toe to toe i battled back from like i said that first punch and then the fight ended with him again pulling me in and me trying to get out like you know holding my arms back ready to still fight but that was that little sour spot now but yeah you basically were out two months uh i've i've never had a concussion i i've know people who have i know players who've had and and it, it affects them in various ways um how how bad was your was your um not your life that sounds a little dramatic but how how bad did you feel afterwards and how long obviously it was two months before you played a game again but how was recovering from that yeah i mean i had had a concussion or two before that um and and some as a as a kid just being rough and tumble kid um but no in that scenario yeah you know yeah I ended up feeling like I was out partying every night, waking up the next morning with the full smash and headache and hangover, but I hadn't done the partying, you know, right, I had just right. gone to bed and that's, that's the best way I can explain it. It's like that hangover every morning with a bit of fog around it's very tough to get through. I mean, you got to lean on your family. You got to lean on people that are around. I mean, all I could do was walk my dog. Right. You know, you don't want to get your heart beat up into any, situation where it's pushing your blood flow too fast or giving you pressure or so there was a lot of uh, waiting around and 
just trying to let that fog clear and that's a lot of time to think too i think that's what makes it the hardest on the people is you know am i okay because if you're okay man you're going at a brick wall and don't care but if you start wondering are you okay or not well that's a different story you start feeling pretty bad about those things and then getting through that i mean for me uh getting through the concussions in that scenario was just that hope that i could be out there for my teammates again and that is exactly the scenario that did happen it just i didn't get back out with st louis i was back with worcester and now it was three games against the three next toughest guys in the league type of thing in a row and i'm back day one from being concussed so well you're fall off let's get back on right <laughs> I, was, I was gonna say i mean you had unless i i'm missing something i had once you got back to worcester i have you having four fights trevor gillies mike's groy colt nor and martin grenier none of those are an yeah. easy day no, no, like I said, one of the bigger guys or stronger fighter guys in the league, so. <laughs> you may as well have just jumped into shark-infested waters dressed in chum. Yeah, well, it's, hey, I can tell you this, I wasn't uh, more afraid of anybody in the NHL. I mean, the guys in uh, the AHL were just as tough, if not tougher sometimes, just not quite as good of a hockey player. Yeah, I got to tell you, I don't, I mean, I never want to fight Trevor Gillies, but I definitely wouldn't want to fight him uh, coming off a concussion. That uh, that sounds like a bad time. <laughs> a lot of angst, a lot of buildup, a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of stuff to work through in those uh, first few punches. So, hey, and let's let's bring it up. During your time in St. Louis, you had 25 penalty minutes, all fighting majors. No, no minor penalties, no nothing, no misconducts. Uh, Nobody can uh, nobody can say that you went up there and did not do everything you could do and do your job and and were a liability. Yeah, you know what? There was there's one thing that I picked off, and it's only because I went back and watched those games too myself. And it kind of was when I was I don't remember if it was fighting Shelley or if it was when we were, I was going to fight Peter Worrell. But the play had actually gone the other direction, and we were in like a three on two breakaway type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I haven't seen that after. It's like, ooh, I didn't. I didn't want to be a a, a debt to the team, right? Yeah. I didn't want to get a two minute penalty where the other team had an opportunity power play goal. Like I, I just wanted to make sure I was, if anything, an advantage for the team. So, as is as is your um your pattern, your three year run with the organization uh, comes to an end. So, uh, were there any discussions with the Blues about resigning? Be it you know another opportunity with the big club or uh going back to worcester no i uh things just kind of dwindled out there after the concussion and that i mean they'd had players before with concussions and i mean it's something you you gotta understand i guess really uh and for myself i mean i wanted to i wanted another shot you know i wanted to do it that was the uh the next season but st louis was looking another route so being a, a free agent, you know, then some calls came in. So it was, let's try this again. <laughs> so, uh, and Tampa, you ended up signing with Tampa and uh, they had someone that may have given them the edge, someone that uh, you had some experience with from your days with the Flyers organization. Uh, that was Bill Barber. Was was he the one of the deciding factors in signing with Tampa? Yeah, no, he recognized the fact, too, that they wanted somebody to protect their players. This was going to be in uh, Springfield now. Mm-hmm. There was a organization rotation type of thing. 
So he was going to be part and partial to the minor league team in Springfield. And then with uh, Tampa Bay there, and he knew what they had wasn't uh, enough, what he would say, meat going into the season. He wanted to have some more toughness, some guys to have. He saw the advantage of having the the big tough guys on the, the team so that throughout the regular season, your best players don't get hurt and they're there and available for the playoffs, you know, when when usually you see the tough guys start sitting out a little more often than that. Um, so him doing that, yeah, I mean, I talked with him and ended up signing with them, and that was uh, the reason why was because if they were going to have a another run or they were going to do what they could do, they were going to want some more toughness on the team. But then we had the lockout, so that kind of crushed that. You guys, it seems like as as I look at the roster there, uh, lots of lots of penalty minutes from a few guys. Of course, you and Mitch, the tag team again. Mitch is there with yeah. you. Uh, you had Andre DeVoe, uh, J.F. Susi, uh, Tarnaski was there. Uh, what was it like playing for uh, Dirk Graham and Phil Russell? Uh, Phil Russell was a special guy. I really liked him. Uh, Dirk Graham, well, I mean, he uh, he was a hard-nosed coach and that. And I don't know, I, th- I thought I would have liked him more than I did. But under certain situations and things, uh, you know, sometimes you don't like the the guys you get along with. Like, there was one player on our team that I thought was a, a fantastic player, and he kind of got rode a bit by the coaching staff. And, I did, you know, in my mind, that wasn't the way to deal with this player. And so that, that bothered me, uh, made me not like him so much, but... You know, he he was a good coach. He did want to, uh, he wanted to win, so. Unfortunately, I do not have video of anything of you in Springfield. I have the list of guys that you fought, but I don't have anything I can talk about in terms of any fights or anything. So uh, I guess I'll ask you, is there any anything from that year in Springfield that stands out to you, whether it's a fight or a memorable moment or anything like that? Oh, I, you know what? Yeah, there was a couple more tilts in that, but there was uh, there was one younger guy. This is getting back to your now you're the veteran guy in the league or whatever. There was one younger guy, and he was with Albany, I believe. Steve Spencer. Uh, was that his name? That might have been it. That's who you fought from Albany, Stephen Spencer. Okay, and it, was he not just a younger guy yeah. coming in? Something. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, because after that. Uh, and this 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 was just a respect thing that I thought was nice too. Uh, after we fought, because I, I split him open on the forehead, he came to me. Uh, I guess it was in the penalty box. We were close enough that we could talk to each other. But yeah, he 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 wanted to show me a little respect and asked me how I switched from left to right hand so fast, and because I kind of caught him off guard, he wanted to know what that was about. So yeah, but yeah, kind of funny. I remember that. Yeah. After so. Yeah, I mean, there's a, you know, on the list here, there's the usual suspects, you know, Grenier two more times, Garrett Strohsheim. Well, that, that's another one. Grenier was one of the guys, and, and I'd hate to put him in the same category of me thinking about him, but as I did before, I mentioned Darcy Simon, like, tough enough guy and could fight and all that, but sometimes he shied away from the heavyweight when it was time to pay the piper for something he had done. And I, I wouldn't say Grenier was the same as that, but... Mm-hmm. Grenier did, you know, in rougher games, go after, like on on our team, I think, I believe it was Aaron McKenzie at one point, who was, you know, a six-foot better defenseman, not a fighter at all type of thing, and 
So with as far as Grenier was concerned, yeah, there was one time I had the, one of the last fights there I had with him. I jumped him because he had jumped a guy on our team the shift before the game before and hurt him a little bit and then just, you know, thought he was going to laugh about it. So no, there was some retribution coming his way, but we had some good fights. But he was strong enough at the end of one of our fights. Man, he just grabbed me and threw me on my back. <laughs> yeah, he's and a like, big boy. <laughs> He was done the fight and threw me on my back. Like, I might have been off balance a little bit or something because I was still trying to punch or whatever. But yeah. I was like, oh, boy, yeah, he, he just kind of threw me there. <laughs> we didn't know it at the time, but uh, a game at the end of January, uh, your last two fights uh, were actually against Sean Thornton. So I guess maybe the kind of careers that you guys had, you know, the mutual respect that you guys had for each other, maybe it was fitting that uh, you your uh, your fight card ends with Sean Thornton uh, twice in one game. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, <laughs> that happened. The, the first the first fight was us chatting at the face-off draw, and the score was what the score was, so it warranted time for there to be a tilt. Um, and I had asked him, I said, are you ready to do this, Sean? And he was one of the guys that I did, I highly respected for what he had done, you know, in the minors, and that, that obviously making it on through the NHL the way he did. So when I asked him to go, he, he kind of, shuddered a little bit and said, no, no, I don't, uh, I told you I don't want to fight you anymore. You punched too hard with that right <laughs> hand. So we had a little chuckle about it, but I said, well, we need, I need something, you know, like, you know, I'm not going to skate around cross-checking them and get penalty while I'm dropping my gloves type of thing. So I just said, well, how about we go lefties? And he, he giggled a little bit and said, seriously, you just lefts? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we'll go lefts. So then he fought me. So we dropped the gloves, squared off. We fought left-handed. Uh, you know, it was a pretty good fight. Then we go in the penalty box, and I, I don't think I threw any right-handed punches. I was honest with what I had said. And then uh, we come out of the penalty box. It was a whistle or whatever, and their coach put him on right away. So I just looked at my coach. Same thing, right? So, yeah, he said, stay out there. So line up with him off the draw, and I said to him, I go, okay, Sean, that time was for you. This time's for me, and I'm throwing rights. <laughs> and then he, he kind of, no. And, but I threw the gloves off. You know, I had to do it. He threw his gloves off, and then, you know, he kind of went down. Like, I think he just crumbled down. I don't think I knocked him out or anything. But Well, at the time, we didn't know those were going to be your last two fights, but then I think shortly after that, you came down with a serious case of mono that ended your season. Yeah, yeah, no, can't can't be getting hit when your liver's swollen up or whatever. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I've never had mono, but for for you to get mono in January, or early February, that just puts you out for months. I mean, how obviously it was serious, but as someone who's never had it, like, what does it feel like? Does it just absolutely drain you? Is that it? Uh, just the the absolutely no no strength whatsoever. Kind of like the the feeling of the the flu. Like you're just you know, a bag of marshmallows, not, not, nothing strong in there to pull anything with at all. <laughs> but yeah, no, and because the swelling of the uh, liver or whatever, you can't, you can't get hit. So because I didn't get it out of my system, it carried with me for a lot longer. And then they're like, yeah, no, you can't have contact because if you do, it could blow your liver into pieces. So, or spleen or whatever it was there. Yeah. So. What happens the following season? You you end up playing just one game uh, for Springfield, and then that's it. What uh, what was the story behind that? That was the, okay, you know what? They had canceled the year before, didn't even go to training camp with uh, Tampa Bay and that. 
went right to Springfield because they said, no, we want to start the season with the guys that were here last year. We're not even going to have a full training camp and all that. And that, to me, was a blow. I mean, I'd worked hard to get up with St. Louis and that, and I'd, even going into Springfield, I thought I'd worked hard enough and was in good enough shape that I honestly deserved that opportunity to at least have gone to training camp. I mean, I was on the NHL contract, so... But then, yeah, then I just kind of lost a step, you know, coming back after that, losing all my strength and that, uh, trying trying to get back into the game. It was just like, no, this isn't going to happen. It, that that amount of time that I missed, and it, it was always said, I mean, and, and, and a good coach said it, you, you never stay the same. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. Uh, as far as the athletics are concerned, a lot of times, yeah, when you start losing the the age advantage, well, it's a lot harder to get better. At that point, yep, it was time to time to go home and maybe join back into the, the real life. I mean, I loved playing hockey and all that, but I didn't think I had an opportunity to go any further, so I didn't want to stretch it out and hurt myself any more than I had to. So. Well, you're still involved in the game. Uh, I, I read somewhere you did a, uh, a charity event, NHL is versus Kids Celebrity Ball Hockey with uh, – some, I guess, I guess these are players also from North Bay. Yourself, uh, Bill Holder, Sean Donovan, and Matt Marquardt. Where you played street hockey with the the local kids there. That had to be a big thrill for them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And those things come up uh, periodically where they'll get the some of us guys to go back that played pro hockey years ago and whatnot. You know, they have events. But uh, you know, moving forward, going back moving forward going back <laughs> kind of funny uh they want to see all the new people right mm-hmm. so you you got the fans that were there when when you were playing and that liked the style you played or whatever but most of the cases in those those autograph signing things and they want the new players the current players and you're just there to help promote the sport and you know do what you can for the guys coming along behind you and that so uh so t- yeah, fabulous to do that stuff where you're being recognized for what you had done in the past and getting to help out other people because of it. I'm probably going to butcher this just like I butchered uh, one of the uh, Ontario names uh, when we first started. But uh, in 06, 07, you were on the Powison League champion Eastside Mario's team. Is that uh, senior hockey, I imagine? Okay, yeah. No, the Powison. Uh, I told you I was going to butcher it. <laughs> yeah, no, one of, one of the uh, guys I grew up playing hockey with Actually, his son uh, is doing very well right now, Glenn Gravel. Uh, his son, I think, just got picked up was with the under-18 team and is going into the draft or something. But anyway, Glenn Gravel, yeah, when I came back from playing hockey, well, he had a the, the league going there that they were part of and had had a team in for a number of years. And the North Bay Mercantile slash the men's league in North Bay uh wasn't gonna let me play they said no we don't want him out here hurting anybody <laughs> I mean, obviously they didn't understand that i'm here now with my friends i you know nobody's paying me to go out there and do those things so i just wanted to have fun with my friends playing in a little shinny hockey with them and that but no it wasn't allowed in north bay so the my buddy there because he was good friends and their family knew the commissioner of that little league uh they said yeah no we'll let him come and play out here with you guys so i went and played the one season with my buddies there just for fun a couple of you know the beer league were you the ringer 
I don't know if I was the ringer. I stayed on defense and told them to skate, and I'd set them up type of thing. So <laughs> Now, uh, I know when you weren't playing hockey, uh, I thought I read somewhere that post-retirement you were actually in training to be a firefighter. Did that not come to fruition, or did you do it and you stopped? How, what happened with that? Uh, well, it came time I needed to be making some money, and getting on with the fire department was a was going to be a lengthy thing. Like I'd done the fireman college type of thing, and but then the the way they were and with the people they had, they weren't going to be hiring, and you had to go through a the best way to get on was be volunteer first. So when you're doing volunteer fireman for three four years, not making any money. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't help you with your life. So, <laughs> I, I had to. I had to get that job where I was going to be getting paid too. So, so what have you done since retirement? What uh, What have you been doing uh, with yourself? If you don't mind uh, talking about what you've done since you retired. Yeah. No. I. Uh, I actually worked for Frito Lay, and uh, because that's what a lot of the you know sports guys do. You, you got the gift of gab. You're able to talk to people. Um, so I went there. Uh, being a chip rep, basically, so putting the chips at all the stores, uh, ordering, doing all their stuff for each store. But then, yeah, I quickly realized, you know, I was crushing the chips with my big hands and stuff. And, <laughs> you know, at least that's what the guys there laughed about and said I was doing. Um, but anyways, yeah, no, I, I realized that wasn't uh, the job I wanted to be doing. Uh, I loved driving my big 4 by 4 pickup and all that stuff, so I figured, what the heck, I'm going to get a truck license and see where I could go with this and uh yeah I drove plow one winter and because I drove the plow for the winter I was able to get the job with the city as a uh, truck driver and plow driver in the winter so that's what I've been doing for 16 years oh good for you good for you sounds like a, a good job with the benefits and pension so that's uh that's a big deal yeah that's the key having that money coming in when you're not out there working when you're relaxed, and so I like that pension idea. Yeah, definitely. Now, uh, the Blues are generally are regarded as having one of the best alumni uh, organizations. Have you been able to get back there at all for any alumni events? I, I haven't, no. Uh, I would like to, mm-hmm. obviously, but no, I haven't been able to. Uh, I it's, do- been, it's, been, it's been a lot of work, and, you know, uh, as is with everything, like, I'm pretty passionate about what I do. So, you know, once I got into this job with the city, it kind of took over my, okay, this is what I do now. And these are the people I get along with. And, you know, so I've been doing that wholeheartedly type of thing. So, uh, I, I have seen though, you do do some stuff with the, uh, I guess the Centennial alumni. I saw some uh, articles with group pictures and everything. Do you, do you guys get together? Like how do, do you guys still keep in touch? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of the guys I still keep contact with. Like, uh, just recently, it was Brad Brown, Jason Campo, Damian Bloy, Bill Lang, a few, a bunch of the guys we still uh, get in contact. And then there's the, like you said, the alumni games. And because of the alumni, I mean, we get into all the games. We don't have to buy a seat. So, I mean, I can go watch it. That, well, it's the battalion now, not yep. the Centennials anymore, but I can go watch them whenever I want if I have time. But again, they're playing in the winter and it's snowing in the winter, and that's when I also have to plow. So, whether you call them Baby Huey, whether you call them Woody, whether you call them Stone Cold, Steve, this has been uh, this has been unbelievable for me. And 
And for those of you who are listening, you have no idea that we have been trying to get this done for weeks and weeks. It's it's one thing after another with Steve's job, with my job. Uh, I think I got sick one day we were supposed to do this. So, um, Steve, I want to thank you uh, for sticking with me here and, and getting this done. This has been everything that I hoped it would be. I really appreciate you uh, sharing the stories of your career. I know the people that are listening right now, I know they enjoyed it. Uh, but my last question that I always ask my guests is, uh, is there anything that I did not bring up about your career that you would like to, to mention? Oh, boy. Uh, no, I think we, we covered the best parts of my career, I believe, Joe. I think we did a pretty good job there. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I can't think of anything that we've missed. I mean, missed some of the fun times I had outside of hockey in some of the cities, but you always can't remember those stories when you're talking about those areas. So they come back to you later on type of thing. Well, the problem with that is there's no database for me to go Steve McLaren's good times in uh, South yeah, yeah, Philadelphia. Exactly. I can't research that unless, uh, unless yeah. you get in trouble. If you get in trouble, yeah, then yeah. it's in the papers. So, Yeah, we don't want that. No, so. no, no. Well, like I said, if you have nothing else, then I just want to thank you again. This was tremendous. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did, and we'll keep in touch. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. Uh, thanks a lot. And, yeah, here's a shout-out to all the other tough guys, man. Good job. Thank you, sir. I'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Joe. All right. Bye.